I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Okay, uh, this is going to be great. We're sitting down with the Pittsburgh native, Lauren Ober, who's a podcast host and producer, recording from her very own closet with a beautiful uh, uh, Sure microphone. Mm-hmm. So it's going to sound crisp. Uh, Lauren is a, uh, a producer and podcast host of a number of shows. Uh, the most recent show coming out, uh, and actually I think by the time this airs, the show is already available now. September 13th, The Loudest Girl in the World, which, uh, which has to do with a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but uh, I also want to just toss out there, because Lauren, this is really cool. Um, you, you're an award-winning audio reporter, and uh, you've been heard on, on many shows, many of our favorite shows, uh, such as This American Life, 99% Invisible, and Criminal. Um, Lauren, hello. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. This is going to be so fun. Thank you. I feel like underdressed, but rather under like I'm in a closet and you guys are in a gorgeous, like, you know, exposed brick. You have a neon sign. You have gorgeously placed books. You all look very cool. I'm like I'm surrounded by hoodies and blazers. Hey, if you got to switch up the clothing, you just reach back and pull something down and just yeah. you know, dress know, up I'm a like, bit. And you know, what, you it's know, it's true. It looks like a curated, a curated sort of like. No, positive clothing. Nothing is curated (laughs) in here. Although, I mean, it's well, it's a well organized closet. Uh, (laughs) And also big enough for you to sit in there with a fucking microphone. It is a walk in closet. (laughs) Yeah, it's a walk in closet. I'm rich. I mean, what can I say? I work in podcasting. I've worked in public media for years. So obviously, I'm raking it in. Uh, Uh, But the the, the thing is, is it really doesn't matter where we're sitting because this is an audio production. That's right. That's right. Who cares? As far as everyone's concerned who's listening, we all could be sitting in a fucking closet yeah, we, might we, well be in the we could all be sitting on a a, 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 a a pittsburgh toilet for for all we know <laughs> that's right yeah. oh um, god <laughs> you don't know that i'm not <laughs> yeah, that's right that's right yeah, i can only see from the <laughs> neck down lauren uh one of the reasons why we're we're so excited to have you on the show today um we've been doing this this podcast now for uh i think close to seven years 600 and, uh, episodes? Is almost this 600 what I episodes. Yeah, that's this actually might be the 600th. It actually honest. might be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So congratulations. Um, Thank you. And uh, out of all the people that we've spoken to over the years who live with illness, um, I don't think we've had a single episode where we've talked to someone about autism, um, which is the subject of The Loudest Girl in the World, your latest podcast. So mm-hmm. I guess to kick things off, tell us a little bit about The Loudest Girl in the World what what's the what was the catalyst to to create this project and uh i guess you know within that maybe give us a little bit of insight into what autism means to you uh because it's kind of i feel like it's a bit of a unique or maybe not so unique um situation where 
um, you've you've kind of realized that you have autism, but quite late in your life, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to um, start with a my autistic brain cannot handle the three, the multiple questions that you threw at me at one time. (laughs) So, so which one do you want me to hit first? I mean, I could just blab. Blab. I I mean, I could just go. Fuck us up. Yeah. So the loudest girl in the world, uh, is, is, uh, a show that I probably didn't want to make, but felt compelled Mm. to make about my experience, um, sort of learning, as you said, later in life that I was autistic and um, and sort of going through the journey uh, in the only way that I knew how, which is kind of to document it. I mean, you know, I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist for 20 years. I document other people's stories. I have, you know, at this point hosted besides this show, three other podcasts like I do work about other people. And, but, you know, when I, when I started on this sort of journey, when I started thinking about this as a possibility, when I went to look for resources that I related to, uh, I didn't really find anything that spoke to me. Um, Mm. You know, there are a lot of great people talking about autism. There are a lot of young people on TikTok and YouTube. Mm. But I'm like 100 years old. So (laughs) I'm not a native to those places. And there were some really great books, but they weren't necessarily, you know, they were more about the history or, you know, um, or people sort of deep uh, like in the weeds memoirs. And I wasn't really interested in that. And I was like, me, I guess I have to make something myself mm. for me. I don't know. <laughs> but also, um, you know, when you're like, I don't want to do this thing, but I feel like I have to, then it, it's like a, it's maybe a good idea or it's mm. like a thing you need to get out of you. Like I felt maybe I need just perch. And mm-hmm. so I made the show, which is basically like a memoir, uh, mm. an audio memoir of my um, experience, but also with like history and other people's experience in there. So it isn't just like a me show. Mm. Mm. Interesting. I feel like that resonates a lot with us because that's like that's like I don't think we were thinking about it quite as specifically as that at the time that we created this show. Um, but I think in hindsight, that ended up being kind of what it was, was like, yeah. hey, yeah. no one's talking about stuff and like melding humor with it very well. So like we're going to do it. So I think that resonates mm. a lot with kind of like the ethos and the in the, the the sort of like genesis of, mm-hmm. of our show. Yeah. yeah. Lauren, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious for you, for you to like to even go back to before the podcast. Like, how did you end up finding out mm-hmm. later in life that you live with autism? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I say I'm autistic. Um, and, and I think a lot of autistic people use, um, you know, sort of condition first, um, language as opposed to person first, just because it's like, you know, um, like I'm gay and I don't say I'm a person who, who lives with homosexuality. I'm just like a gay ass person. You know what I mean? Like it's just part of me. I'm autistic. I'm gay. I'm a redhead. Like I'm from Pittsburgh. You know, I'm not a person of Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. Right. right? So, so anyway, so I'll just say that. And then, um, you know, how did I come to it? Look, when you've been in therapy for a bajillion years, um, and you still feel like you're struggling and you can't quite figure out why, um, you know, and things just seem harder than they should, you know, you're, you're like, there's, you're 
questioning, like, what is wrong with me? Like, am mm. I doing something wrong? wrong like am i doing something wrong like why do i have friction seemingly with the world um but of course you know we live in such an ableist world we are ableist ourselves uh you know where we're like oh i couldn't possibly like i have a job i have a house like mm -hmm. I, i've kept a dog alive um <laughs> like i'm not there's nothing i'm fine right there's a lot of i'm fine mm -hmm. um but my partner has a 19-year-old son who's autistic. And the more I got to know him, the more, you know, I was like, okay, like, you know, mm. I mean, he and I are extremely different. Mm. And, you know, the this the 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 common phrase in sort of autism world is if you know one autistic person, you know one autistic person, which is to say that, you know, autism is a collection of traits, but they don't always align person to person. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the more I sort of was exposed to um, to the condition and to like an autistic brain around me, um, you know, I, I started thinking about it. It was like in the ether. And then I think for me, you know, the real catalyst was the pandemic where the way, the strategies that I had to keep my life propped up like fell apart. Um, mm -hmm. so routine and, um, you know, and, and, and having like some structure to my life. And I think a lot of people experienced that and it led them to like leave relationships and leave jobs. And for me, it was, it was like, oh, I need to figure this out. Like I'm feeling extremely bad right now mm -hmm. and I need to figure it out. So, but it wasn't like a snap your fingers process. It was like a multi-year how did how Never. did therapy so you mentioned that you that you've been going to that you've you know been involved <laughs> in therapy for a long time um was there anything surprising to you that that never sort of bubbled its way to the surface through therapy not really because for a couple of reasons one i think that most you know autism is not a mental health condition though there are you know mm -hmm. there are mm -hmm. mental health conditions that come along with sure. autism, but it's a neurodevelopmental disability. Um, you know, it's called autism spectrum disorder. I mm -hmm. would, I would categorize it as a condition. Um, you know, I think disorder is stigmatizing, although everybody can choose to frame it sure. however they want. But, you know, I, um, I think most mental health professionals are not trained in that. They don't know, unless they're sort of psychologists, who have an expertise in autism or neuropsychologists, they don't really know anything about it, particularly as it applies to um, adults and women and people who are not men um, or boys, because we tend to think of autism as it relates to children and mm. particularly boy mm. children. I mean, most of the research on autism is has been done on boys yeah. um, and men. I mean, famously, you know, um, uh, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's cousin, um, whose whose name I'm whose first name I'm blanking on, but he's a famous psychologist, and mm. um, and he says that you, you know he made this, he did this research about how autism is like basically like having a man brain, you know, like if you boil it down, it's you know it's like this male affliction or something, and so people aren't really tuned in to the ways in which um you know autism can present itself 
in women and girls and people who aren't men. I mean, I have a subtle presentation. Mm -hmm. And so, and one thing that, you know, women and girls are very good at doing in general, like neurotypical, neurodiverse, like across the board is twisting ourselves into a million different shapes to fit what society wants us to be. Mm -hmm. And so you already have that as your foundation. Then you overlay autism on that where, you know, you're, you are like doing everything possible to appear typical masking camouflaging you name it right yeah. and so yeah it's not something that anybody would notice plus like nobody really knows anything about autism really yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it seems like so <laughs> insanely broad yeah like that it can like, <clears throat> that 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 like, like I mean, to what you said, if you know one autistic person, you know one yeah. autistic person. Like there is, it, like, I don't think there's a carbon copy of an no. autistic person no. across the world. Yeah. So. Uh, Simon Baron Cohen uh, is Simon. Is the yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I, my, I blanked on that. Yeah, right. it's okay. So I, I mean, one, you know, to your to to uh, to that point um, that you brought up, you know, as uh, talking about a a spectrum, I like the the way that you use the the uh, term spectrum condition as opposed to spectrum disorder. But, you know, when you look at spectrum conditions, um, they, there is, there's, there's quite a wide array of like, of um, uh, sort of traits that would come with that. And so like, it it makes me think about um, love on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, I just recently watched love on the spectrum us. Um, I, I like, you know, I was like home one night uh, I think maybe I had COVID. I had nothing to do. And I was like, fuck it, whatever. I'll put this on like in the background. Mm-hmm. Crushed the entire season in that one sitting. Like I was just fucking sucked in. And the thing that right. I found so fascinating about it is like, you know, it, it is a really beautiful show. And and I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Lauren, I have. But, but, yeah. but I would love to like kind of get your thoughts on it. But, um, you know, when you watch that show, you see, you really do get a, a kind of a sense of what that spectrum looks like. You have you have people that are very deep in the spectrum who have, um, you know, issues with, with communication, you know, like, like really, really, uh, tough, tough communication skills. Uh, but then you have, you have other folks and characters in there that are, um, maybe not so deep in, into the spectrum and, you know, maybe go through their life, um, with some of that stigma that I'm sure comes with autism. And I'm sure you've probably faced yourself where, people might look at someone like yourself or, or, you know, the young woman that was in, in the recent series um, where there's, they're very highly functioning. They don't seem, you know, um, uh, atypical. They don't seem neurodivergent. Like they're, they, they seem quite um, quote unquote normal. And so Mm -hmm. like, I feel like there's a lot of stigma surrounding autism because of this. Like if I was, you know, if, if you and I were, were at a bar right now and just shooting the shit, I wouldn't know. I would have no idea that you, you have autism. There's no, there's nothing that like kind of sure. sparks that. But you me. also wouldn't know if I had clinical depression or, or if I was bipolar exactly. or like there and are a million you, and, and you wouldn't know if I had CF, right? Like, and right, that's, that's the thing that we, that people with like invisible illnesses kind of face. It's like, right. we, you, you can't, sometimes you just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my point in bringing that up is like, do you... How, you know, in speaking to that stigma piece, is that something that you started to notice or 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 feel um, kind of put onto you 
after you received your diagnosis, you know, like maybe some from people in your life where you say, oh, I have, I found out I have autism and, and maybe, maybe someone goes, really? You know, like yeah. that kind of yeah, like, of oh, I don't fucking know if that's right. Yeah. Do yes. you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I want to answer that, but can I go back to one phrase that you, that you mentioned earlier? And I, I want to gently guide you in a different direction please, in yes, terms yes, of your phrasing. Yeah. So so saying that anyone is highly functioning, like uh, like what is functioning? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um and so I think that so so like very like very brief um lesson, history lesson, there used to be a sort of subset of autism called Asperger's syndrome, yes. which um, was basically sort of declassified, removed from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual in the early 2010s because mm, it was considered um, like a hierarchy of autism. Like that's like the good autism right. to have right. because you're quote unquote highly functioning mm. and the other autism is like the bad autism to have. And really like it, it, created a lot of problems because it was an artificial designation. Um, and so it's now just classified technically as autism spectrum disorder, but, and, and that is considered to be the spectrum, but mm. there's also a way of thinking about it where it's like a pie chart and it's like all of these, all of these um, traits that fall under autism and some people have more or less of those mm -hmm. traits mm -hmm. um and some people have um all of those traits and it means <clears throat> that they might not be able to live independently or they are non-speaking or whatever but it's like it's it is a really squishy idea like it's a squishy condition it is really hard to put your finger on. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I think it's, I think for me, it's important to just explain my experience, uh, and my presentation. Mm. Um, and like, I can't really, um, you know, because everybody's experience is so individual. So, but, but it's interesting. So, like, it's, I think it's necessary to go through that because I think for people who don't, anybody who doesn't have autism, people want things to be packaged in this like really nicely defined mm -hmm. box and to right. go, like, tell me what autism is. I understand then, that. You know now, what I mean? Whatever. And then to go, okay, I get it. And it's, it's like, it's like kind of uncomfortable for the brain to be, ex to be told that it's like this really, kind of fluid and undefined uh, <laughs> thing that's very, very different. I just think like people just don't, pe people's brains, not like, not people, but people's minds don't like that lack of Well, we want something definition. concrete, yeah. right? I mean, it's like if you see someone using a wheelchair, the assumption is, well, they're paralyzed and mm. they can't walk. And that's why, but it's, but in reality, like there are a million different reasons that you can't see, you don't know about like why people would use any kind of, you know, um, any kind of uh, mobility device or whatever. Like, it's just like, so we're, we're so narrow in our, in our thinking. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that might've been a, a poor analogy, but, but just 
thinking about how we know so little about other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. And and a big part of that goes to, um, you know, your initial question, Jeremy, which is about stigma, um, which is that there's enormous stigma across the board, across disabilities. Um, mm. And autism is certainly no different. And I think, you know, for, I mean, how, unless you know an autistic person, people's frame of reference is very narrow. It's mm. like, it's like Rain Man or mm-hmm. it's like yeah, exactly. Sheldon or, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's just these, these sort of caricatures, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you drop the matchsticks on the ground, do you know how many you dropped immediately? Like, you know what I mean? Like that's like, that's, I feel like that's, the I thing don't that drop matchsticks because <laughs> I have great coordination and I'm very good. No, I mean, I don't know. Like who cares? Like, I know, match, exactly. like that, that's what people think. Can I catch a ball quickly? Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, no. And so it's, um, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely had, you know, to your question, I definitely had people be like, what? Like, mm-hmm. are you, uh, what? But, um, but also it's like, I'm, I'm amazing at masking. Um, so kudos mm-hmm. to me, but also people have no idea what mm-hmm. it means. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. y- you know, like I, yeah, I'm, it's just not obvious. And, so what, but what are I, the... W- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. What no, are, no, what, please. What are the ways that it presents for you? Like, what are because I think part of the stigma and and that when we're having this conversation about stigma, like for you, when I think about you, Brian, ADHD, it's like Brian's late, and like <laughs> and, and like I can cut Brian some slack because I know he deals with ADHD, and I know that lateness is a part of that. So when Brian's late, I'm like kind of annoyed, but I'm also kind of like I get it, <laughs> like and and so. You know, when somebody is like, oh, when you say, you know, I have autism and somebody goes like, really? Like, uh, you know, what are the ways in which that you would go like, you know, this thing that I seem to do in my life that maybe like you find kind of like quirky or funny or annoying, like that's part of my autism. Like, what are those things for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I am, um, I mean, autism basically is, you know, a collection of communication uh, challenges, um, sensory issues, uh, social, you know, social confusion um, at times. And, you know, for me, like I am an obsessive talker. Mm. I I am like a compulsive talker mm-hmm. and um, I got in so much trouble as a kid and if I had been able to sort of like turn the tap off then I wouldn't have gotten in trouble but I just couldn't Mm. um and it was like (laughs) it's it's not understanding it's not being able to read the room now obviously as an adult I've gotten much better at that but as a child I was not able to do that like I couldn't pick up the cues that like this person doesn't want to talk to you or couldn't pick up the cues that like this is not the appropriate time to be talking um you know, so I was constantly in trouble. I was, you know, I was, I was punished in all kinds of, you know, uh, I I would, I would say, uh, you know, ways that you would never punish a child now. I mean, they were pretty aggressive and, um, and then, you know, it's, it's like, uh, talking because I'm, anxious and I can't deal the the intensity of the feelings around 
you know, silence is is too much for me. Um, I mean, I, I you know, one one uh, writer, one autistic writer wrote that, you know, having autism is like walking through the world with your first layer of skin removed. Um, you mm. are hypersensitive to various mm. emotions, stimuli. Um, so like every time um, an ambulance or police cars pass, like I have to plug my ears. I can't, it's too loud. It's, it's too stress inducing for me. There are certain sounds I can't hear um, that, you know, so I always carry earplugs around with me. Um, I can't go to a concert without wearing earplugs because the next day I'll wake up and feel like I have a massive hangover. Like my ears are just hypersensitive. Mm -hmm. I am very sensitive to, you know, particular kinds of touch, like light touch. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. nobody should be light touching anybody. It's I gross. Agree. I agree. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, um, I really like, I'll, I will like recoil if like a stranger accidentally touches me. Um, you know, uh, sometimes... <laughs> I feel like I'd like a camera on my face when people I don't know well hug me because I feel like <laughs> my face is like, uh, like I feel like I'm just doing something terrible. Um, uh, I am, I have so many sort of food. I call it, I used to call it before I was diagnosed, I called it pathological food finickiness. Um, but really it's just like, there's just food that I like straight up. I'm like, nope, 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 not like, is not that like textures and things like it that? Can be, that? It can be textures, but it can also just be like visual. Like mm. I am very visually sensitive. So, you know, I mean, this drives my partner absolutely nuts, but like if she's sort of, um, like mindlessly, like lightly massaging her like leg or arm or whatever. And I'm like, I need you to stop doing that immediately. You know, <laughs> she's, like, she's basically like, fuck you. Like I have, like I have a pain. I'm like trying to get this knot out. And for some reason it is because I'm, a, I'm, I'm sensitive to her feelings. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, I, I, it's like, you're hurt. I, stop doing it. I have a, it's like, Everything goes haywire. Um, yeah. Do you think that a way for for like the for you know when I started this, when I start to say that sentence I'm like is that the right language to use? But I was but I was gonna use the word when the average person when when like when 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 anybody um, hears like something like chalk running down or fingernails down a chalkboard like is that <laughs> like is that a way of going hey this is this thing that's like almost universal across the across human population well, there are things that, you that are understand. universal like yeah, you yeah, can yeah, under more sure. understand my experience with this like particular thing like it's kind of like this yeah i mean you know it, i'm fine with them being weird and people not understanding like like <laughs> i <laughs> like my partner and i were just in um my partner's israeli and we were um we were we were in israel with um she has three kids and and we were there and we started to get into a discussion about how Lauren doesn't like birds with small heads. And <laughs> then and she has a 14 year old boy. And of course, you know where that went, which is just like him, like trying to point out you know, like particularly like peacocks like and, and, and part of it is and now I'll tell you why this is so stupid. It's like a lot of birds are extremely unpredictable and anything yeah. that is unpredictable is very hard because you can't control it and you can't like not being able to predict behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I could, you know, I could extend that to like, I have a very hard time around people who are very intoxicated or very high because their behavior is unpredictable and mm. I don't know how to orient myself yeah. to it. So mm. it literally goes from like, 
peacocks to people who are fucked up. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, I'm sorry. Is this like, do we have to bleep this? No, no, um, no, no. fucking okay. You can, do not fucking <laughs> Um, so, you know, the 14 year old, like we were, like we saw, we, there, <laughs> we, we drove through this town and there were, there was like a yard full of peacocks. And I, <laughs> I like let out like an audible screech. <laughs> but then her 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 19 year old who is autistic was like stop doing that stop doing that so it was like it was like autistic clash yeah, like yeah, my yeah. my shit and his Your shit is like coming to, together yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so um yeah i mean it's it's funny stuff but then it's also like you know when i was a kid i had no friends like mm, yeah. i i didn't know how to make any friends um i i didn't have any friends probably until i was I was in 10th grade. Um, I mean, I was very, like, I was extremely sporty. I played sports in in high school and college, and I was, like, on every team. And, you know, I, like, I was really um, just active. But I didn't, like, that didn't, like, translate into, like, mm. friendships, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh- and, yeah, so those are just some of the collection of traits, I guess. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Lauren, I wanted, I wanted to ask, uh, Taylor mentioned that um, I have ADHD and yeah. learning about this for me was like, it was just like overwhelming experience, like yeah. all these different feelings, like grieving the person that I thought I could have or should have been in the past. And like, yep. and also understanding like, I really, you know, it's funny when I, I can't remember the first time I heard the phrase neurodivergent. Mm. Um, but I, before I identified as that, I was like, uh, I don't really get what that means. It feels like this like all encompassing word. It's not really clear. Like Taylor talking about like, like categories and trying to fit things into boxes. It didn't make sense in my head. But the first time I like my relationship with that, um, like moniker is that I now feel like, society and a lot of things in society in the world aren't built for me. Yeah. Um, and that is incredibly validating for me because I start to realize like these things that I don't like or like they, that rub me the wrong way or these experiences that I struggle with that it seems like everybody else does so easily now makes sense. Like I, I used to think like, oh, I'm lazy. I'm broken. Like I, like I can't understand why I can't do those things. Um, and like, obviously people can't see this, but you're nodding your head quite a bit. So I, I, I am, yeah, you I'm can like, like very you, vigorously you, nodding. Like I, now I hurt my neck yeah, for yeah. that. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Like I feel you. I so feel what, yeah, you. Like what, what, what was your experience like with that? Um, yeah, I guess what was your experience like with that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, yes. What you were saying is, is, is totally relatable um, in that you're like, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And what is like, why does it seem so easy for everyone else? And it really like everyone's got a sack of rocks. It mm-hmm. isn't easy for everyone else. It's mm-hmm. just like, you know, like some people's sacks of rocks are heavier or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but 
um, y- you know, I, I mean, you'll hear this in the podcast, like, you know, I recorded from even before <laughs> I got my diagnosis, even when I was thinking about it. And I record the moment that I like get the news back from mm. the psychologist um, who, who diagnosed me and immediately start crying. Um, mm. I would say weeping uh, would be more appropriate <laughs> because it's like, it's like a weight off your back. It's like, okay, you're validated, but also there is that grief. I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because um, you know, look, I, I view the, the diagnosis as like life changing and, and nothing at all. It's, it is, it, it is totally yeah. like the, it is, um, monumental and minuscule at the same time. It's so true. Um, and so you have to sort of like, I think my, I think doing a podcast was my way of dealing with it to be honest like making work out of this because otherwise i think it would have been easy for me to be like oh no like that's wrong sweep it under the carpet and Mm -hmm. and carry on struggling and it's not like i struggle any less now it's more like i have language to understand and so then it's less confusing Mm -hmm. like if i'm at a party and i'm feeling deeply uncomfortable it's not like oh you're fucking piece of trash like just like pull up your big girl pants and get into it it's like yeah you're feeling overwhelmed right now and you probably need to go home and that's totally okay Mm -hmm. it's that um that feeling of um for me like being able to now have language and know how to set personal boundaries and and not and not give myself such a hard time about the things that i now know Mm. sort of come with the territory of like my experience of you know being a person living in this world um, who has ADHD. How, yeah. Yeah. How, how did you come to a point uh, where you decided to inquire about whether or not you were living with something like autism? Like what, what was the, what, what brought you to that appointment with the, the psychologist? Well, I had to, first of all, it is hard as hell to get a diagnosis. I mean, I mean, uh, Brian, I don't know if you had an experience when you were trying to, you know, I don't know if you were a diagnosis as an adult Mm-hmm. But were you yeah, recently, were you like in like, adult- a, yeah. like yeah, a year ago? Year. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so like, um, first of all, people think ADHD is like a made up thing and then they think it's a kid's thing. And then mm. it's like a million different things that people think about and people make jokes about, it. oh, I'm so ADHD. And it's like, actually, you're not. That's like saying like, I'm so gay. It's like, no, you're not. Prove it. You know, <laughs> like go make out with that girl over there. Um, but, but like, but like it, it, um, I, I, feel like there are a lot of people who don't quite uh, there there aren't a lot of skilled professionals who yeah. and if and you know look I live in America uh our healthcare system is uh you know, wonderful right <laughs> I mean I've only heard good things <laughs> yeah exactly um exactly that's why like Bernie Sanders was like like trucking seniors over the border to Canada to get the cheap drugs you know yeah. um so no, I mean it's it's hard to find somebody who di- who is competent with um autism and then overlay, you know, adults and then women. Um so that's like a hurdle right there. Mm. Um and I think that you know what it really what what really um 
uh, was sort of the last straw for me was like the, the pandemic. And I felt like, why am I not functioning? Like I am resilient. Yeah. I am like a like tough ass bitch. Like I can manage this. But then it was like, I didn't realize how critically important my routine was to Ooh. propping me up, mm -hmm. you know? And then when the rot routine goes away, um, everything sort of fell to pieces for me. And I began, I had been talking about things, you know, more like we joke, like my, my partner would be like, Oh, it's, you're so autistic. Like you're so <laughs> spectrum me, you know? Um, and I would sort of joke about it myself. And I kind of like did a little test balloon a couple of times with my therapist at the time. And, um, and she was like, you know, but she didn't know anything about autism. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it really was in the pandemic that I was like, it became absolutely urgent. What like were urgent. What, what were some of those things that like when you said that the pandemic and like that, that your routine start, starts to sort of go away as you, you knew it, what were the sort of manifestations of those experiences in your life that were like kind of giving you these red flags? They're like, oh, something's well, off. Well, it was like, it, it was like all of a sudden I like couldn't, cook for myself or like do my laundry or like everything that I would just sort of normally do bop 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 like as a course of my day uh fell away because I didn't have like a routine like normally my routine would be like you know get up feed dog go for a walk come back get dressed go to one of the cafes like I would go to like one or two cafes pretty regularly. Like one was basically like a co-working space. I created, it was like my own personal office. Like one year I was there in the year before the pandemic, I was their third best customer. Um, <laughs> they literally went through their accounting and they're like, you got to be here a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then that closed and I was like, what do I do? What, yeah. you know, I just couldn't, I just couldn't function. I felt like because I didn't have my normal supports, I couldn't do the basic life things. Mm -hmm. Like my executive functioning became trash. Right. And I, yeah. Had, had I, I just want to, sorry, I just want to stand that for a second in terms of like the routine. Was it because, and because I have like similar experiences to this, that's why I'm so curious. But like yeah. when, cause, cause like I think some people would hear that and go, well, fuck, like you're, if you're working from home, all of a sudden you now have more time to do those things. But like sometimes more time is just mm. overwhelming because I love it's schedule. Like the mm. allocation of like, if I go from here to here to here to here to here, then I know when that thing fits into yep. my schedule. But if I now have to make those decisions for myself, everything's yeah. out the window. 100%. That is exactly my experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Had you had, had in your, in the span of your life, have you had, had you had like smaller, windows of this like obviously covid you know in, in our generation is the most is the most disruptive thing that's happened to everybody yeah um but you know when you had like big life changes like you know when you went to university or when you like maybe started in your working life and like kind of your world gets turned upside down until you can sort of mm -hmm. let it settle did you have little like mm -hmm. windows into this experience yeah, I mean, not quite as you framed it, but when I look back, I understand like, okay, so I am very bad with change and mm. and disruption, obviously, you know, to my routine, but like I am, I will live in a piece of shit apartment just so that I do not have to move. And now I'm really excellent at moving. I can do it really quickly, but the thought of it seems completely overwhelming and upending my life. 
Yeah. Um, and when I when I first moved to D.C., where I live, um, I had rats in my apartment and I had rats in that had tunneled through the ceiling and into a closet and they were That's eating cute. my dog's food. Yeah, <laughs> it was absolutely revolting. Um, and then two rats died under my oven and oh. I still did not move <laughs> because I was like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. I'll just, it'll just get taken care of, like whatever. And it was the, like looking back, I'm like, what is wrong with yeah. you? Not Bacteria only were there rats. Will take care of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they do degrade. Um, <laughs> oh, God. It, they will sure. take care of themselves uh, if no one touches them. Uh, it just takes you, a little longer than you would like. <laughs> when you have a dog in your house and two dead rats under your oven, you get oh, yeah. no rest. Yeah. That dog was like, I got it. I want to roll in it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and, and at the same time, my landlord had gone to federal prison for an absolutely wackadoodle crime. And I <laughs> well. should have taken that as a sign. Like, you need to get the hell out. Out of here, yeah, but I was God. so sort of entrenched oh, in this fuck. in this sort of this is my place. This is where yeah. I live. I can't change it. I can't change it. Like I'm very reluctant. I mean, you know, in the podcast, I talk in the last episode to an ex partner of mine. We were together for six years and we lived together. And you know, there were points where like she would move the furniture and I would come home from work and be like, well. Where's the, why is the furniture moved? Like you move, you like, I can't function because Ooh. everything isn't the same. <laughs> That's know? so funny because my ADHD brain is like, I love moving furniture because like moving the place around and making it new is so exciting. <laughs> every time I come into your place, I'm like, oh, this is a new setup. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, every time. I, I wanted to ask about, like speaking of relationships, um, yeah. you know, given the fact that like autism can uh, impact like communication skills and stuff. I feel like relationships is, is a place where that could become obviously very, um, um, prominent in like bringing itself out. So like, what was, what's your experience with relationships and like in general, like the, I'm terrible at them. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've dated a bunch of people and have had two, you know, long-term relationships. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And especially, especially if you don't understand yourself. I yeah. mean, having a word, having a word like autism and then understanding what it is and how you're, and, and using that as a lens, you know, through which to see your own brain, mm. it like answers so many questions. And I'm able to both advocate for myself Mm -hmm. in a relationship and then also sort of work through problems that like previously I would have I would have been much more sensitive about and and now I can say okay like you know you feel sensitive about x because of why and you know you just you're mm -hmm. able to be much more methodical about it I mean mm -hmm. you know a, a big part of one of our episodes, like I said, is talking to my ex-partner and going through who like, I mean, we're great friends, like we're family now, but going through and being like, I had such bad behavior mm. because there were these things that were triggering that would happen in our relationship and I didn't know how to manage them. And I've always had a really terrible temper. But part of that is because there's all of this stimuli coming at you that you can't control and and you're and some people can shut down but uh, obviously I'm like I'm I'm 
things have to come out of me. Mm-hmm. And so what comes out is like an inferno of just <laughs> like anger. Yeah. Um, and, and that must hostility. go back to that must go back to what you said earlier about it being monumental and like mm. very minuscule because yeah. it might not change how you are, but it gives you language and gives people yes. around you the understanding Ooh. of going, I, I, I understand. I get, I now, instead of just thinking that, you know, you're just tripping about the furniture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can, un- yeah. I can wrap my head around why, why? this is, why this is, uh, you know, tr- like yeah. why this is tripping you out. The, the uh, other yeah. thing is like with, with, um, I think neurotypical people too can benefit from like, like I, I also, here in what you're saying that like that probably a lot of that communication stuff um is a skill that comes out of going to therapy as well and um like i think that people who don't live with you know any of these types of different conditions or um just have these neurotypical experiences they can learn those same things about themselves through going to therapy and you know for me to be like to be honest about it um in my previous relationship I was not going to therapy at that time. And I think of a lot of experiences that I had where I was not able to communicate how things truly made me feel. And I was a shitty partner because I didn't have that language and didn't understand my own self um, in that relationship. So I think everybody can. I like want to date you right now. Uh, (laughs) I, you are not even in my wheelhouse, uh, except that Steeler shirt. Really? I mean, you're, you're really like, I might go straight for this situation here. You're in therapy and you're wearing a Steelers t-shirt. I mean, what's better than that? No, I think like, I think having a language, just understanding yourself better. And then, and then that means you get to be accountable for your own yeah, yeah. behavior. And, mm-hmm. um, it's not that you need, you know, it's not that you make excuses or whatever. It's like, I have, I have X need. I have, mm-hmm. well, like I have Y feeling. And, mm. but then that requires people on the other side of that to understand, to accommodate, to be empathetic because mm-hmm. like it's a two-way street and i think like um like i i think of the people i know who are who are very unforgiving mm-hmm. and very unempathetic about difference and they're just like they just need to get over it like what's your yeah. fucking problem yeah. and it's like Ooh. well that's not how it works. I, I find that um, it's so true. And and uh, my girlfriend has recently been going to therapy and, and has, has had some like challenges with, you know, finding the right therapist. And I, I, before she was going to therapy, I sometimes found it hard to have like constructive conflict when I was like, I feel like I've talked about this with my therapist and processes and I understand why I feel the way that I feel. And I'm trying to communicate that. But I think you need to you know, try to do this work too, so that we can meet on the same level. Mm. And, and it feels weird to say that because like, you know, you don't want to hold that over your partner and you don't want to like, you don't want to feel like virtuous in the fact that like, you know, I'm going to therapy. So therefore I know how I feel and you need to figure out. I do want to do that. I want to hold it over all the time. I want to be like, I'm better. But it's it's hard too because I I mean, it's hard because, and to put it this way. So like if you were uh, a, Olympic weightlifter and you were training for a weightlifting competition and your partner was not an Olympic weightlifter and not training and then you had to compete with one, against one another in weightlifting 
you just have an advantage because you've been training. And like, and like, what it's, an analogy. It's, it sounds kind of analogy. And, like, yeah. Listen, Keep it going. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, and it might be hard for somebody. Like it, it's, it's not. This obviously it's not a perfect analogy. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, Brian but, does therapy and Olympic weightlifting, yeah, yeah, so this is yeah. very. This I mean, is Brian, very I will I will say this is a better analogy than any way that you could have related this to uh, a lazy river, which, which somehow every fucking analogy love, r- is lazy a lazy river. river analogy for you. There's but you three. nailed this one compared to the rest. Um, you know, I feel like this is where we slot in the online therapy ad. Uh, yeah, it's a should, perfect yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're Welcome actually going to throw to better help. I do I do have a question. You know, we're coming up to time here, but one of the things that you kind of alluded to earlier, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, um, is, you know, creating, speaking to the loudest girl in the world, creating a piece of creative work that is so uh, ingrained within your own personal experience, your own condition. What, what were the challenges that you faced in creating something like that? Because it, you've said a couple of things already that you know, that you seem to highlight in the show, like the moment you get your diagnosis or speaking to your ex about, you know, your past relationship, like those, those sound like really heavy things to unpack and, and to package up in, in an audio project that people are now, you know, across the world are going to listen to. So how, what were the challenges that you faced in, in like putting this thing that is so personal together to, to kind of present to the world? Yeah. Yeah. I can't, imagine why anybody would want to do a memoir (laughs) like it's disgusting it's the worst thing ever like I who wants to like mine their own life um and their own traumas it's just like it made me want to barf every day that I was doing it and and yet I still did it uh it 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 um it was really hard. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm a journalist. Like I don't do stories about myself. I never have. This is the first time I've ever, 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 you know, turned my microphone back on myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's super uncomfortable. I mean, I, you know, the, the show will be out presumably by the time, you know, your, this episode airs, but like right now when we're talking, we have five days to go and I'm like (laughs) literally like pooing in my pants. Like I do not, I'm like, can I go into a fugue state for a month? Is there like a place that I could go where I don't have to talk to anybody about this or even admit that I did it? I want to be like, I did a podcast. Don't listen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because, because it felt like, you know, um, I mean, like real talk, we're sitting in edit, you know, editorial meetings and I'm playing the episodes for our senior staff. And like, literally there's me, crying Mm. but like sad crying and like thank god it's not um a video because i'm an ugly crier and so (laughs) it would be like it would be like sad and ugly at the same time but like for real it's heavy they're heavy part parts but also like the tenor of this interview is the tenor of the show i mean it's it's sort of it's 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 funny poignant it's you know um it's real talk but it's also like we don't have to make it so weighty yeah. like it's a big thing and it's a it's a big thing for a lot of people and it's a and autism is something that people are constantly misunderstanding and women and girls and people who are not men who are autistic like that is very close to my heart because because the pain that comes with that if you are not diagnosed and people are not 
paying attention to how you move through the world and what you need to move through the world more smoothly is devastating. Like it's mm. like people not understanding is so hard because it it because it it turns back on the person and makes them feel like a piece of garbage. And no one wants to move through the world like that, thinking that they're a problem. Um, and, you know, as much as it was really hard to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and say, like, this is my shit. This is my life. I I hope you enjoy it. Like, mm. subscribe and, and comment, you know? Um, like, like, I felt it was important. It felt like it was important because, you know what? I do have a platform, and I've done this before, and I know how to do it. Yeah. And it's a privilege to be able to tell, tell other people's stories. And it felt really important then to use that for for some small amount of of good yeah uh, lauren awesome. i i mm -hmm. uh you're you're fucking awesome you're such a treat to talk to this has yeah. been such a joy um folks the loudest girl in the world it's available now um uh, wherever you get your podcasts um lauren how can people stay up to date with you and and your work and and what's you know what's going on in your life I am at Ober and Out on every social media platform. <laughs> um, so it's my last name and out, Ober and Out. <laughs> That's Amazing. Awesome. Uh, Lauren, thank yeah. you. This has been a real treat. Thank you yeah. so hey, much. Hey, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even Better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Simple. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.